Welcome to Pioneers, a five-part podcast series featuring one-on-one conversations with some of Rhode Island's most notable civic leaders. I'm your host, Mary Kim Arnold. Pioneers is produced by the Rhode Island Foundation, the state's largest and most comprehensive funder of nonprofit organizations. The episode you're about to hear was recorded in front of a live audience. I talked with Angel Tavares, who served from 2011 to 2015 as the 37th mayor of the city of Providence. He was the first Latino mayor for the city and the fourth Dominican-American mayor in the nation. As mayor, Tavares is credited with rescuing the city from the brink of bankruptcy. Under his leadership, Providence received several national awards, including $5 million from Bloomberg Philanthropies to boost children's literacy. We had our conversation in the gymnasium of his elementary school, Mary E. Fogarty in Providence. Welcome, Mayor, to Pioneers. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. So I'd like to start where we usually do with a bit about your early life and childhood. You've referred to your story as an immigrant story, a story of the American dream. Can you tell us a little bit about where that dream begins? It really uh, began in the 60s with my dad coming over from the Dominican Republic to New York City, looking for a better life for himself and for his wife and his young daughter. Um, I wasn't even born yet, and he proceeded to bring over my mom, who's here tonight, and my my sister, who's uh, older, and then they proceeded to bring over my four grandparents and about 22 aunts and uncles <laughs> total from each side. First they were in New York, and then they moved here when I was about a year old. So I grew up here in Providence, and uh, my mom raised three of us uh, working in factories after my mom and dad divorced. She worked tremendously hard to provide for us. The best thing that we could do was get an education for her, and the dream for me started here because this is where Mrs. Donaldson, my third grade teacher, made decisions that really put me on a path to success that I wouldn't even know. A kid who grew up in South Providence to have a chance to be mayor of his city, to lead it well, leave it better, it's been quite a journey. and don't know what the rest of it will be like, but I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> we'll talk about that too. <laughs> Do you have any memories of being in this building as it Does it bring back memories being here? Well, I got some good memories and not so good. So we're just going to talk about the good. Uh, Yeah, right. I've got to be careful. Francisco's here, who's my oldest friend from first grade. And I don't want to talk about the time I chipped my tooth outside. The statute of limitations has run on that. Otherwise, I would have done something about it. But it's a place that I remember very, very fondly and I'm still very involved with. Uh, This was our gym and it's also our cafeteria where we would eat. Uh, food wasn't too good back then. I don't, I don't know if that's changed. I hope so. Uh, I came here as mayor and, and since then as well, uh, make sure that they know that if I made it, they can make it, that the path is not easy, that there's a lot of work, that there are some obstacles, but you can certainly achieve it. That's one thing uh, when you're a mayor of the city and they see you come in and you speak Spanish and you tell me like, and they, uh, they get very excited about it because they connect with you. Yeah. So I know you mentioned your third grade teacher and that moment being a point where things started taking shape. I wonder if you would talk a little bit more about that path and who that led you to. Well, when I was in third grade here, I had Mrs. Donaldson and she was tough. She would give noogies to folks. That's probably against the rules, but I'm not (laughs) counting. I wasn't one of those. I actually, I was her teacher's pet and I like that. She put me in fourth grade math because I could do the math easily and she saw that. She said she wanted to get me tested, and my sister and I went over 
to a house, and I don't even know where it was, but one of our uncles drove us to get tested, and they asked me all sorts of questions. I didn't know that they were giving me, I think it was an IQ test or something. But then that led me to the gifted program. And ultimately, in seventh grade, I met Dean Vantage. And, you know, we became really, really close friends, and Mr. and Mrs. Vantage have been a huge part of my life, from making me go to Phillips Andover when I didn't want to go during the the summer to helping me getting into Harvard and and, uh, graduation, law school. Where I work now, I really met the folks at my firm through Mr. Vantage, and that's where I've been now for the last four years. So I've been very, very fortunate, very blessed to have a lot of uh, positive people in my life. What do you think these people saw in you? What were you like as a young person? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, (laughs) A very, very skinny kid. I think they saw um, an idealistic young man. I was very smart. School came relatively easy for me. Maybe a little bit of a smart aleck. We'll uh, admit that as well. But just big dreams. And I was lucky in another sense, too, because my sister, who's seven years older, was the first in my family to go to college. So I had seen it right up front that you could do it. It was an example for me that it was possible. So I'm going to switch gears just a a little bit and ask, was there a particular moment when you knew you wanted to run for mayor? There wasn't a particular moment that I knew that I wanted to run. I know when the decision was made, there was a particular moment, and I'll talk about that in a second. My view in terms of public service is that it's a chance to make a difference. It's a chance to help people. And there are other ways to do it as well, and I'm trying to do that still now that I'm not in public life anymore. The moment that uh, I made the decision was February 11th, a Thursday night. Congressman Kennedy had decided not to run, and Mayor Cicilline was going to run for Congress. And I had already gotten calls about doing this, and I wasn't sure about it because my law practice was going very well, and I was getting to a point where I could really financially be independent. And I was speaking with Louis Estrada, who was here, and Louis told me, if you want to do it, this is the time. If you want, you know, you don't have to, but if this is what you want to do, if you want to make a difference in the city, this is the time. People want you to do it, and you can win this race. That really was the moment. And on February 16th, we had a group of about 10 people meet in my old law office. Many of them are here tonight. And that was like the uh, official Angel for Mayor campaign. Many of us will not have the experience of being on a campaign and running for office. What was the campaign experience like for you? (laughs) A blur. I mean, it was a blur. It, remember, this, the, my campaign was a lot shorter because it started in February. The primary was over in September. So it was seven months. I mean, there are people who want to run for mayor who already are thinking about it now, four years out. So it's a long, much longer campaign. So it started and it went very, very fast. And I'll tell you a funny story. I mean, I think back in my campaign, I think about people like Rosalina Serra. Rosalina Serra is an Italian-American mom. She used to live in the Fifth Ward. She's since fortunately passed away. I was her candidate. And I was at the Democratic City Committee for the endorsement, and I got beat bad. If it was a boxing fight, they would have stopped it, okay? It was, it, was a, it, was not, it was not even close. And about a week later, it was right around the beginning of July, we had a thing at her house, and she introduced me to so many people from the Fifth Ward. And so you have this old Italian-American woman introducing this Latino who, <laughs> to all her friends. And, but she asked me, she said, did you know you were going to get beat so bad? <laughs> and I said to her, yeah, well, I, I had some idea, I, you know, and um, she said, okay. But I told her something that day, and I said it to the whole crowd. I said, I promise you something. In two months, 
I'm going to make you all look really, really smart. <laughs> and after the campaign, after we had won, we went to LaSalle Bakery, and there's a picture in the journal of her dancing with me. We're just kind of dancing. And I feel pretty uh, confident that I've uh, kept my word. So I miss her very much, but uh, I know she's looking down, and uh, she feels pretty good about uh, her political <laughs> her acumen. Yeah, I think so. So, like, when you said that, how confident were you at that moment? Um, well, this is being recorded, so I can't be totally honest. <laughs> um, so, you know, I felt very good about it. I knew what the path to victory was because I understood what I needed to do. You know, I was as confident as, as I could be under the circumstances, but uh, and that's why they have elections, right? Because it's really not decided until election day. But certainly uh, felt very good to be able to keep my word to her. So I've heard you talk about how important it is to keep good people around you and to, you know, to have people supporting you. What do you look for in those people who are close to you? Well, first and foremost, I look for people who have integrity. You can't work with someone who doesn't have integrity, or certainly I can't. Beyond that, for me, when I became mayor, I mean, I, I did a real honest self-assessment of myself, and that's realizing what are your strengths, what are your weaknesses. And I have, I have a couple of weaknesses. So, um, so I knew that I had never run a big organization before. The biggest organization I'd run was maybe like five people. I needed to have people around me with experience because I understood that I didn't have it. So when you don't have it, you find someone who does. And I was able to do that. My very first hire was Michael D'Amico, who I met in seventh grade. Without him, we wouldn't have avoided bankruptcy. My second hire was Steve Perry, who was a former colonel of the state police. Very few people thought I could get him to leave GTEC at the time to come over and to work for the city of Providence. He's still public safety commissioner today. What are you most proud of when you think back at your time as mayor? I'm proud of a lot of things. I mean, I, I am proud of the fact that the city came together in a very special way, in a very difficult way, a challenging way, but the city came together and we were able to save the city from bankruptcy. And I say we because everyone played a role in that. When I say shared sacrifice, everyone sacrificed from all of the workers in City Hall, all of the uh, employees, retirees, the unions, tax-exempt institutions. We had everyone really chip in to help us make sure that the city did not fall into bankruptcy. I'm so proud of the staff for what they did on my team and what they're doing now. I have several who are, I say, I feel like they're my children. I have several who are in law school, others. uh, Megan, uh, who's here, is the communication director for Senator Whitehouse. Gonzalo Cuervo is chief of staff for the Secretary of State. I want them to know how proud I am of them and and what they continue to do. Uh, While I'm not old enough to be their dad, um, (laughs) I certainly feel a lot of pride in terms of that. I'm proud of the work that we did winning Bloomberg Philanthropies. You know, when we went down to New York to get the $5 million prize, I remember someone said, boy, I look really happy on CBS this morning. And I said, yep, I was very happy. I mean, my mom never had the idea that her son would be sitting next to the mayor of New York to get a $5 million prize, beating out 304 other cities for Providence Talks. There's so much more the work that we did with Achievement First and and, uh, laying the groundwork for an example as to what can happen when you extend the school day, extend the school year, and give principals more authority. As time goes on, I feel even better about it because I think people see that the work that we did was real and the impact was lasting. Sometimes people are curious about when there are challenges or obstacles, how you both overcome them for yourself, but also when you have so many people around you who are also looking to you, you know, how do you 
balance that kind of motivation of others and sort of keeping yourself on track? Well, (laughs) you know, leadership starts at the top. And what I mean by that is that I think your staff reflects you in many ways. And so when we were facing the financial challenges we were facing, and they were real and they were extreme, I tried not to show the level of concern that I felt, so to speak, because I wanted to keep people going. And I also knew that the moment that folks saw me very concerned, you could, that, that just kind of trickles down in that sense. So I try to set the example, set the tone. That was very important to me. It wasn't easy by any stretch of the imagination, but we got through it, and we got through it together as a team and as a family. I felt good about that and still feel very, very good about it. We have a couple questions from the audience, if I can move to those for a minute. This first one is, if you had one do-over as mayor, what would you do? If I had one do-over as as mayor, I would not have allowed teachers to find out on TV that they were going to be receiving termination slips. We would have communicated that a lot better. So that's pretty easy to say in terms of a do-over. What advice do you have for someone who aspires to elevate themselves? The advice I would give anyone who wants to elevate themselves is to work hard, not let anyone else set their goals for them, because I feel like if you do, they set them too low. There will be a lot of people who will tell you, can't do this, can't do that. It's not your time. It's not your turn. You know, uh, you're not ready. I've heard all of that. So don't let anyone set your goals for you. Be humble but confident, um, and that's a balance. But I would also say one other thing, and that is, you can't let positions change you. You know, I, I, I do a leadership class at Providence College, and one of the things I tell them at the end that I hope they dance, there's a song that says, I hope you dance, uh, Leanne Womack, I think it is, and, and she says, I hope you still feel small when you stand beside the ocean. And I want to make sure, that regardless of what people achieve, don't get too big uh, ahead. And uh, Mrs. Vanish used to tell me, don't believe the hype. <laughs> don't believe the hype. And that voice has stayed with me for over 25 years, so... I mean, I was fortunate because my family would certainly help me to, uh, to come down on that. And, but I think those are very important things. What do you think your legacy is slash will be or what do you hope it is? So I guess any version of that. <laughs> oh, that's great. Um, you know, I hope that, um, one, I open the doors for others. It's important to be the first, but it only matters if there's a second, right? So, um, so I feel very good about that. I have no doubt that the city is on better footing than it was when I took over. I hope that we've also left a legacy in terms of education and some of the things that we're starting early with early childhood, moving all the way through Achievement First for things that you can do to really improve education in the city. And I hope that people realize that when we come together, there's very little that we can't do. I spoke to the judge who oversaw Central Falls bankruptcy. He told me they were waiting for us to file. And I tell him this, but I'll tell you, I said, I didn't believe that God put me in this position to fail. Failure wasn't an option, and, and my mom didn't raise kids to fail. So I wanted to make sure that if we ended up there, people knew that we did everything we could to make sure to avoid it because it wasn't a good option for the city then. It's not a good option now. I don't think it's a good option for, for cities, period. So this next question came up several times. Any plans to run for office again? <laughs> Well, I have three kids who aren't here tonight because they're a little under the weather, but I have uh, Farrah Rose, who's seven, and Sebastian, who's four, and Belle, who's one and a half, going on ten. 
And so they have a lot to say uh, to, about that. <laughs> I've also gained about 27 pounds since I left office. And someone told me the other day they are happy pounds. And I would say, yes, they're happy pounds. <laughs> so, you know, you never say never. But my priority is my family and making sure that I can provide for them and take care of them. And we'll see what happens in the future. But I have no plans right now to run for anything. I'm focused on making a difference and finding ways to do that. Um, and there are ways you can do it, even if you're not in public life. I think all of us have a responsibility to do something to make this world a better place for others. And so that's my focus, and that will continue to be my focus. And if that means public life, we'll see. Before we move on to the last little lightning round, is there any question that you wish you had gotten or anything that you would want to address that came up or didn't? I mean, I think the one, qu- the one question or the, the one thing I'd like to say, because I know folks will listen to this, The hardest thing about being mayor is dealing with the violence and family members who lose people to violence. And I had to do that on too many occasions. We lost a 14-year-old, Joel Figueroa, on Sumter Street. We lost Anise Vargas, who was 12 years old, on Hartford Avenue. We lost Stephen Latimer, who was downtown, a young man. Essen Crystal, who left a young boy in our family. And I say that because I know all of their families. I've met all their families. Myra Latimer has started Stephen Latimer a Walk. It's now going, I think, on its seventh year, and she's amazing. And I guess I, I want them to know, I can't believe their grace from the pain and suffering of losing somebody, or losing a child, to trying to help others. It's just truly amazing grace. You marvel at how they're able to go on after such difficult tragedies. So that was something that really does take a a piece out of you, but you never forget. I think one of the themes that has come up in this conversation is how, even though there's this sense of public life and leadership and strategy and campaign, we're still talking about a lot of individual lives, both those that have touched you and those that your life has intersected with in your role. It's um, As mayor, one of the things that's most amazing sometimes is that all you have to do is show up. How often do you have a job that sometimes all you have to do is show up and you can make a difference or make someone feel a little bit better? That, to me, was a gift then. It's still a gift now because people are so kind to me everywhere that I go. It's amazing to me. I recognized that it was a blessing, and I recognized that it was also a responsibility. Um, you go to the tough events, and you try to console when you can, but it's an amazing job. I don't think I'll ever have as good a job as being mayor. It really is something that I've realized that God blessed me. Well, you've certainly touched a lot of lives. So this last little bit is something that we call the lightning round. <laughs> and so just a quick few questions that we ask all our guests. You ready? I think so. (laughs) What is your idea of perfect happiness? You know, um, in about a month, we'll be out on the beach, my family, uh, my brother, my sister, our our kids, my mom, and spend a week together. We started doing that last year. had a great time. We're doing it again this year. And that, because we don't get a chance to get all together that often, it makes me very happy. So I'm I'm very looking forward to that. It doesn't get much better. Dogs or cats? I have too many people here who know me, <laughs> so I have to say neither. Um, <laughs> so, 
So <laughs> I'm not an animal person, so I'd have to say neither on that. <laughs> Greater fear, deep space or deep underwater? Oh, deep underwater. Deep underwater. Because who knows what's down there? Yeah. <laughs> what do you value most in your friends? Loyalty and honesty. What is your favorite word or phrase? <laughs> My favorite word or phrase is, hay que sembrar para cosechar. Hay que sembrar para cosechar. And that is in Spanish, but it essentially translates to you reap what you sow, except that it's much more positive because usually the, you reap what you sow is kind of used in a negative connotation. It's about the fact that you have to plant in order to harvest, right? And I used to use that a lot with my grandparents and when I was able to do a lot more as I became a lawyer and, and had a chance to um, spend time with them as an adult because they, uh, they planted a lot of love with me. A lot of love. Uh, what word or phrase do you most dislike? I don't know that there's a word or phrase that I dislike, but if my kids were here, <laughs> um, they would know that daddy does not like whining. <laughs> and so that is a very big no-no in my house. Well, it's a no-no in my house. doesn't mean it doesn't happen. It's, just, it's a, it's a no-no because I don't like whining. If your career hadn't worked out the way it did, what would you be doing instead? I think I'd be teaching. I think I'd be teaching. I teach at Providence College, so I really enjoy that. Um, and I don't know whether it be at a college level or school level, but I think that that's what I would be doing if I weren't a lawyer. Yeah. Last one. If there's a heaven, who or what is waiting for you there, and what's the first thing they say? Well, uh, I hope it's Jesus, and I hope he says, Welcome, my faithful son. <laughs> Thank you so much, Mary Rose. It's been a pleasure. You've been listening to Pioneers, produced by the Rhode Island Foundation and brought to you by the Civic Leadership Fund, an annual fund that broadens the scope and increases the responsiveness of the foundation's traditional philanthropy. Our show is edited by Megan Hall. Sound design and theme music by Tom Van Buskirk. To support efforts like this one, please visit rifoundation.org.